Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I'm going to talk a strange subject, really, but I felt it when I was given... Often churches give me the next one in their series, but you very kindly uh, said, just preach on what you like. So here goes. Because I'm going to talk about the privilege of living in multicultural cities. Because I'm not sure that we've always fully regarded as that. Because it means that we are like the New Testament, where the New Testament church was first established, was first established in very multicultural cities. And that enabled the gospel to spread, and the gospel to spread elsewhere as well, from those places. Uh, Although we're in a much smaller town than uh, Manchester, Bedford, you know, no one's heard of it really. But, uh, you know, our church is... One of our sites is majority non-white British, and the other site is only just a majority non-white British. So overall, our church is about 50-50. And uh, we regard that as a tremendous privilege. And so I know it's part of your DNA as CCM, but I'm going to reinforce it. So you're praying for it and trying to not neglect working at it. I know I've not been to this part of uh, your city before, but um, I'm sure it's probably like the rest of the city in different ways. So, as I said, the New Testament churches were planted in culturally diverse cities and towns, and the fact of that diversity lies behind many of the stories in Acts and even themes in the epistles. So when, for example... um, it says that we're to accept one another. Romans, Book of Romans, we get the wonderful truth of the gospel. Then Paul just says, accept one another as God has accepted you. That was in the context of a, a racially diverse community who must fully accept one another. When the book of Ephesians talks about unity, keep the unity of the spirit and all that sort of thing, Actually, the context of unity in the book of Ephesians, as I'll read from later, is unity between ethnicities. That's the context. And therefore, the objective is that we should be a diverse community of young and old. Well, you succeed on that pretty well. Okay. Uh, All social groups that are represented near where we live and all ethnic groups, and therefore we serve and reflect our diverse community. That should always be our biblical ambition. So, this is what the Bible teaches the Church of Jesus Christ is meant to be. The scattering of people groups was quite common in biblical times, sometimes for positive reasons, to trade, sometimes for negative reasons, because of war or... or or other events like that. And that's been so 
throughout history, we all emigrated from somewhere at some time. <laughs> okay? And now people that tend to do their DNA get surprised with all the ethnicities that are built into their DNA. So, Abraham, who's been referred to already, moved in faith, positively, because God told him to. God, first thing Abraham had to do in obedience was to move. And so he moved in faith. The people of Israel were refugees in Egypt, then moved en masse into Canaan. Jesus was also a refugee in Egypt. When I hear people talk down about refugees, I think we follow the most famous refugee in history. (laughs) Okay? And so, and then Jewish people lived all over the Roman Empire, would come to Jerusalem, hence the effectiveness of the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost, as well as the... The the time that the Holy Spirit came on the church was a fantastic missional picture because these people had all come and then when they heard, they heard in their own mother tongue because their mother tongue was now where they lived, not where they, not Hebrew or Aramaic. Okay? They said, we hear in our own language. And like today... The cities of the Roman Empire where the Christian gospel was first preached and churches established were multi-ethnic and multi-social. Slaves and free. Different races. In what, so in Antioch, there were Chinese, Indians, Arabs and Africans living there. Um, and so... the And it says of the... A leadership team in Antioch that they were it was Paul and Barnabas Barnabas was, Barnabas was Cyprian Cypriot sorry Cypriot Paul was from Tarsus although he was Jewish he was not living in, in, in um, the land of Israel then there was another guy whose name suddenly escaped me Simon uh, who was black African. Then there was another guy who was North African. And somebody else who had grown up with in Herod's family. Wow. You couldn't imagine. That's the leadership team. And that was... And God was working through that. Um, and the New Testament, as we've seen, very frequently addressed the issues that this raised as the people became followers of Jesus from many diverse backgrounds. So, Bible stories illustrate this theme. Cornelius was a senior officer in the Roman army. At that time, only Jewish believers were in the church, but Cornelius was already praying regularly and generous to the poor. And... Uh, He had a vision of an angel saying, go and find Peter, then the leader of the church in a place called Joppa. Now, this is how God works. You know, where where I've been working in lots of places, you know, I've met so many people who had visions of Jesus and therefore found the, the church. That's how God is working, how he breaks in to unreached peoples particularly. So I found that in the Middle East. I told them yesterday of a lady who was 
uh, a Muslim, no, knew nothing about Christianity except that Isa Masih was a prophet in the Quran. But Isa Masih appeared to her one night in a dream. She was an epileptic. He touched her on the head and healed her of epilepsy. She went and got that medically confirmed and then looked around. Does anybody else in this city know anything about Isa Masih? And found our church. That's what God does. I met another guy in Myanmar who was a Buddhist priest. And he had, he had to have two dreams. First one he didn't do anything about. Second dream about, uh, was about, about Jesus. He then is now uh, a pastor in one of the churches. This is God. And so uh, Peter then, at the same time, fell asleep while praying, which is not uncommon, and <laughs> had a vision of a sheet coming down from heaven with all sorts of animals that Jews would never eat, and Peter had not allowed to pass his lips. God said, kill these animals and eat them. Peter struggled. I mean, he'd never done it, but in that, in that sheet would have been the food of all the nations, and God was saying, they're all going to be accepted by me. Food laws in the Old Testament were to keep the people of Israel as a separate people because the Messiah was coming from Israel. Now, we're all people in the Messiah. You know, I often say, you can't preach the gospel to people unless you eat their food uh, because that shows acceptance. And I've had some interesting experiences. <laughs> but... <laughs> And so Peter was invited by Cornelius' men to go to a non-Jewish home, which he would normally never go into, whose food he wouldn't eat, because meals together in those days, and they are in most of the world today, outside the West, are signs of acceptance and friendship. Okay, when you eat with people, we're saying, we're, we're accepting you. As Peter preached, the Holy Spirit fell on, his gen on the Gentile listeners, and this story is so important, it's told twice in the book of Acts. Just repeat it. Because it's so important. Because it's talking about God's acceptance of, of all nations. And the Holy Spirit for, falling on them. Although that, that shows many things. What it showed and how they used it when they talked about it was God has accepted them because the Holy Spirit fell on them. Holy Spirit falling on you is the assurance of God's acceptance. Then in Corinth, Corinth was a very wealthy city in the ancient world. The church there, however, was mainly poorer people, but with some who were very rich. So there's a guy called Erastus, who was a city treasurer. And I'm sure in those days, the city treasurer would have been you know, reasonably well endowed with money and possessions. And then there's another guy called Gaius who had a very big house for the whole church. Now, though all were part of the church, one of the reasons Paul wrote that letter to the Corinthians, as well as correcting other things, was that the rich didn't receive the poor as equals. So in the larger houses where the church would meet, actually the houses in Corinth, there would be two rooms for eating. And in those days, what we call communion, breaking of bread, was part of a meal. And the rich who, made, who had more leisure would meet in one room and have a great big meal together. The poor who worked hard and probably came late 
eight in the other room. Paul said, this is terrible. We don't deserve, discern the fact that all God's people are equal. And because of this practice, God's judgment was upon them. Some were sick and some had even died. Because they didn't accept one another. They just had a church for the people like them. And sometimes I've even heard this talk that it's, you know, it's more effective to have a church of people like you. It's more, it may be more effective in terms of numbers. It's totally unbiblical. <laughs> okay. So, so it says, examine yourselves. Examine. Are you embracing the poor, people of different ethnicities? Are you us free people embracing the slaves? Or will God bring judgment on you? Pretty solemn, isn't it? They had, they had meetings in those large houses, and they would be similar in size to most of your sites. Okay, so you're... Quite biblical here in that respect as well. And, uh, the, and so the commands to accept one another, to work out being one people in Christ, was demonstrated because that means they mu- the, the congregations must have been big enough for them to be able to do that. You understand? You know, people, when they talk about house churches in the Bible, they think of, if they're Westerners, they th- or English, they think of an English front room, English lounge. Okay? No, it wasn't like that at all. It was much, much bigger. I've preached in a house church in Pakistan with 170 present. Okay? Uh, one, it was because there was a big courtyard. So everyone was sitting outside in the courtyard. That's where you preached. That's what eastern houses are like. Another one was in a more slum area in the centre of the city, and then people were all in the downstairs room, probably about as many as this. Then the stairs were completely full of people, and the upstairs room were as well. Okay, that's a house church, all right? So that was what it was in Bible times. So this was in contrast. Uh, the writers of the New Testament would contrast how the church operates with the temple in Jerusalem. The temple in Jerusalem spoke of division. So, you know, there was the holiest place, only the high priest went once a year, because God was distant, and they couldn't get into his presence. Then there was the, then there was the, ne- then there was the next courtyard... Only Jewish men could go. Then the next courtyard, only Jewish women could go. Okay, so there was even that division then. It spoke about division, the temple. Then there was a very strong wall, as if to say the rest are very different, and they would see a notice on it. Anyone not of Jewish birth and going further would be responsible for their own death. Not terribly welcome. The welcome team wouldn't work very good there, you know. Because <laughs> they could only stay in the court of the nations or the court of the Gentiles. And they couldn't do anything there because it was full of money changers. That's why Jesus was so angry about that. It wasn't just because they were trading in the temple. It was because they were in the court of the nations, which were intended to be a place when all the nations could pray 
and they filled it up with that stuff, so you had to kick it over. So, this wall was symbolic of a very big barrier, and the Jews saw themselves as a special people of God, but forgot they were called to be special to reach the rest of the world with the truth about God. So, the old temple was that, division. The new temple is you are built together from different nations into a temple where God lives by his spirit. So it says this, we are now one new humanity. I prefer that word to our new man because it has unhelpful connotations in the modern world. So we are one new humanity in Christ. It says, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility towards each other was put to death. Wow. Okay. All hostility between ethnicities in Christ was put to death. The separation of the um, temple is finished. You know, that wall symbolically was smashed when Jesus died. So the temple representing separation from God, separation between races, separation between clean and unclean, separation between men and women, all gone. And uh, now when Jesus came into this world, the temple and all it represented became obsolete. Even when he was here. Because the temple was where people were to meet with God. Where did you meet with God when Jesus was here? In Jesus. The temple came onto the streets. And uh, Matthew's gospel emphasises that all the first miracles were done to people who weren't allowed in the temple. If you read through Matthew's gospel, you'll find that. People who weren't allowed in the temple for different reasons, they're the ones the temple went to as a prefiguring of what would happen when Jesus died. The temple would be for all. And that's why it's important to live this out. You know, it's wonderful truth, but we've got to live it out. So we become one new humanity in Christ, but not... In Adam, which we were before. In Adam, you know, we all sin. In Christ, we're all made alive. But also, in Adam, we have differences. In Christ, we are united. So, the church is to be ethnically United, socially united, slave and free. Also, a family respecting all ages. That's how Paul writes about the church. He says, never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would to your own father. Talk to younger men as you would to your own brothers. Treat older women as you would your mother. 
and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. Okay? It's the family of God. So we almost must always keep in our church life expressions of ages together. Yeah, it's great to do the have separate kids work because, you know, in our culture it'll be very difficult. Otherwise, I've noticed so many I was saying to Andy, I was noticing so many children here this morning. You know, you think, will there be anyone left to preach to when they've all gone out? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, the only church I've seen with proportionally more was a church in Pakistan. Uh, I've never seen so many children in my life. And, uh, but they stayed in all the way through the service and just sat quietly. <laughs> I mean, it's just different culture. It's all right. Don't uh, try and emulate it. That's a different culture. Okay? <laughs> but the wonderful thing was, this was, I've been there many years before, and when I was introduced to the church, they, the pastor introduced me as, this is David, he's our church's grandfather. <laughs> and I was there last year, and I did a leaders retreat, leaders and potential leaders retreat. About a third of the people there were people who were kids in that church when I first went, now in their 20s and 30s. Fantastic. Sorry. And they all came up to me and called me grandpa. Okay. So, it's important because of where God has placed you in Manchester, a city with many ethnic groups within it, a cross-section of people of different social backgrounds, all sorts of professions, rich and poor. And if you want to reach your city, you must say, we must intentionally meet all those groups and bring them together. It's great. When people come to a church for the first time, it's great if they say, oh, there's people like us here. We try and make sure our welcome team is very ethnically and socially diverse. Because people come in, there's people like us here. And the preaching is ethnically diverse. and And it's important. Because we're wanting to demonstrate, you know, I rejoice, you know, our eldership team is three white British and two Indians and one African. Because everywhere we've got to demonstrate this. So the leadership team, as in Antioch, I've already quoted that. And everything else needs to be as diverse as possible. But it also, it must affect our attitude. You see, it affects our attitude. Paul writes to the church in Colossae, do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. That's fine. We believe that. Having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, then you expect him to say, so here you have truth instead of lies. He doesn't. He says, here, this is not Greek and Jew. Circumcised and uncircumcised. Barbarian and Scythian. Slave free, but Christ is all in all. The new humanity, Paul is saying, is ethnically and socially diverse. The old humanity was lying to one another. The new humanity is not just speaking truth, though that's important, actually is ethnically diverse. And so no barbarian 
refers to the non-Greek speaker or whom Greeks thought inferior or uncivilized. A secular historian wrote this, commenting on this scripture, though as far as I know he's not a believer, he may be, but he's not writing as that. He said, civilization and barbarism were twins born in the Greek imagination. They in turn gave birth to a ruthless mental dynasty which still holds invisible power over the Western mind. Civilization and bar- they gave birth to a ruthless mental dynasty which still holds invisible power over the Western mind, what we would call a stronghold. The Roman and Byzantine empires sanctified their own imperial struggles as a defence of civilised order against barbaric primitivism. So did the colonial expressions of Spain, Portugal, Holland, France, Germany and Britain. You understand? That Greek superiority mind has become a stronghold of Western thinking. And we're in, if you're from the West, if you're not from the West, you're completely excused from this now. Okay? But it just grips us all the time. It's how we think. I recently went back to a place in Africa, which was in South Africa, so it's got whites and blacks in the same church. And a lot of people testified, I hadn't been there for a lot of years, Someone te- they testified that a lot of the Africans said to me, we were set free when you taught on strongholds, and they're now leaders in the church. We said we were set free from your stronghold seminars 15 years ago, whatever it was. And they said, but it didn't just set us free. They said, because we were struggling with certain things because of our cultural background, the white people in the church thought we were drawing attention to ourselves and making an exhibition of ourselves. But all it was was that we needed to be set free from certain things. And they looked down upon us because of that. But your stronghold seminars means they accepted us. Because you had to break this stronghold as well as the strongholds of witchcraft and ancestor worship they got set free from. Okay. Then no Scythian. There are people who came from the steppes of southern Russia the Caucasus and Crimea, where we spend a lot of time, they were nomadic people compared with Greeks who were settled people. When Greek, this writer went on to say, when Greek met Scythian, began the idea of Europe with all its arrogance, all its implications of superiority, all the assumptions of priority and antiquity, all its pretensions to a natural right to dominate. That's the West. Okay. Therefore, we must learn, as Westerners, those of us who are, to be set free from that whole way of thinking. And Paul here is declaring the victory of Christ over the whole of that attitude and saying what counts is not these divisions, but Christ being all in all. Holy living is living free of racial prejudice as much as living free of sexual immorality. And sometimes repent is necessary for prejudice and unconscious superiority. Unconscious until the Holy Spirit reveals it. So it needs to be reflected in our attitude. It needs to be reflected in our worship. That different cultures are reflected. When we're in Russia, we can read Russian. We can talk, basically. But 
So when they sing songs in Russian, we can read them. But because it's our second language, we can't get all the words into the melody. <laughs> and often when I've been there, I've thought back and I thought, that's like people who come to our churches in the West where we stick more words are than there are notes in the music. And uh, you, you, for people with English as their second language, it becomes very, very difficult. So we think about those things. Do you understand? Father, thank you for the wonder of the gospel. Reconciles us to you and reconciles us to one another. So no one is, we're all on the same level because we're all sinners and we're all on the same level because we're all justified saints. Lord, we thank you for that. Help us to work it out. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.